that this is going to be a hot mission. What? A hot mission? Yes. I create a diversion and you grab George Michael and go. We need a name. Maybe Operation Hot Mother. Let's, let's try to top that. It's only a model. Welcome to Welcome to Storybrooke. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And, oh boy, we are here with Season 5, Episode 5, Dreamcatcher. Which means that we are on Book 7, It's Only a Model, Chapter 5. So, the title of this episode, Dreamcatcher, we're going to get this over with right off the bat, but it will also probably come up at several points in the episode. It's super culturally insensitive. It's not cool. We're in a real cultural appropriation-y place right now. I mean, we talked about this before, and we'll talk about it again, but just take as given that the way they use Dreamcatchers in this episode, in this season, is not okay? No. Not great. But, uh, before we get into that... You know what is great? This episode... Well, I was going to say Sexy Merlin. Well, I think Sexy Merlin is why this episode is great, because we are finally getting some Sexy Merlin on this show. Oh my god, Elliot Knight, who is playing Merlin on this season, is so sexy! He is, and the weird thing is that I don't want this to sound bad, because I do not mean it in a bad way. Go ahead. It's not just the way he looks. He's he's an attractive guy, don't get me wrong, but he's got this, like charisma that certain i don't know what yes a little je ne sais quoi yeah so if you google a picture and you're like okay he's okay but i don't exactly get why max and tina are so thirsty just understand you need to see him in action so to speak yes it's a whole voice demeanor bearing there's a whole lot going on there way his eyes crinkle when he smiles we actually watched a couple episodes of that cancer show he's on. Life Sentence? Yeah. It's it's cute. It's. I, I think I liked it more than you did. I think I'm probably going to watch the rest of it by myself. I'd watch it with you. I mean... Oh, you want to finish that? Yeah. Okay. All right, let's talk about this show, the one we actually podcast about. Ah, uh, so the... This isn't Welcome to Life Sentences. I, I don't remember where that show takes place, so I, I can't say Welcome to wherever. Yes. Okay. So anyway, we open the episode proper on Sexy Merlin sexily walking into a sexy field. Seriously, he comes out in a sexy wizard outfit. I was not aware there was such a thing as a sexy wizard outfit. In case you are looking for such a thing, it is a leather doublet with a sexily embroidered shoulder cape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's the TA that you'd want to sleep with at Wizard College? Yes. Yes. You know, I just brought up sexy wizards and not knowing how sexy wizards dressed and totally outed myself as having not watched magicians yet. Speaking of sexy wizard TAs, a thing which I assume that show has an abundance of. Anyway, sexy Merlin comes into a clearing where he is facing off with the Dark One. A Dark One. A Dark One. A Dark One who is wearing a face concealing mask and a body concealing cloak and okay there there's no way this isn't going to be a sexy woman right that is correct anytime you see someone whose face and body is so conspicuously hidden from you yes this is going to be a surprise lady yeah uh leia in return of the jedi sure 
Mulan in this very show. Erin Soon in the first episode of Farscape. Yeah, although she didn't do the sexy hair toss thing. Yeah, that's because in Farscape, peacekeepers wear practical hairstyles instead of being perfectly shampooed and coiffed underneath their helmets somehow. So it's not a CSI Miami sexy coroner leaning over a sexy corpse with all of her sexy hair dragging all over it. Okay, I don't watch CSI Miami, but I'm upset by how much that fictional coroner is contaminating that fictional crime scene. Yeah, CSI Miami is one of those shows, like, you watch in hotels and only in hotels, or in my experience, I'm sure there were actual people who were watching it at home. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been on for 7,000 seasons. Yeah, I've never had an opportunity to watch it in hotels. When I'm in hotels, usually that's when I take the opportunity to watch the Food Channel. Oh. Yeah. So anyway, Merlin's in the sexy clearing, facing off with this person that we have soft-spoiled as a sexy woman. Now, he runs into the clearing saying that the Dark One destroyed her, the only woman he ever loved. You mean the way Darth Vader... Destroyed Anakin Skywalker? Yeah. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. We're, like, just soft-spoiling all over the place right now, aren't we? Eh. I mean, I'm not even gonna bleep it out because it's so tropey that if it's a spoiler... It's not. It's not a spoiler. It's fine. So he's trying to stab the Dark One, but he just can't bring himself to do it. He has the Dark One dagger. I'm not sure if we mentioned that. We did not. And you know what? It's probably a good thing that he can't bring himself to do that because he's Merlin, and Merlin with the Dark One powers is fucking scary. Well, maybe he'd be able to not be infected by them by virtue of being, you know, a real good dude. Doubtful. Anyway, he drops the dagger, which is dumb, because that's the thing that can control the Dark One, allowing the Dark One to scoop it up. And he falls to his knees, and a single beautiful tear runs down the corner of his eye, which I'm not going to complain about, because Encyclopedia Brown is not always right about this sort of thing. Actually, he's crying out of the correct part of his eye, according to Encyclopedia Brown. Ah, okay, points. My real point here is, of course, that every Encyclopedia Brown adventure should end with Encyclopedia Brown getting the shit kicked out of him by Bugs Meanie. Yeah, he really is a dick. Especially, look, the one that stuck with me so much when I was a kid was the one where he figured out that this girl had thrown a contest because one of the questions was, what is the only English word that has three double letters in a row? And that word is bookkeeper. And that's what her job was. That's her job title was bookkeeper. So he's like, oh, clearly she threw the contest because she didn't get this right. Instead of, you know, people are humans, encyclopedia. Sometimes they just fuck up in really dumb ways. Encyclopedia Brown is the well-actually guy of childhood detectives. He is. God, I hate Encyclopedia Brown. So this mysterious dark one uses the dagger to catch Merlin's single tear. Single beautiful tear. Well, everything about Merlin is beautiful. Mm. And then she casts a spell to imprison him inside of a beautiful tree. Or turn him into a beautiful tree. Well, to turn him into a moderately attractive tree. This is a solid seven tree. So Max and I were unclear whether Merlin was a tree or trapped in a tree. We thought the scene where it actually happens would clarify this for us. It did not. We both finished watching this scene and thought that 
our position had been ratified. I was like, oh, see, he's trapped in the tree. And Max said, oh, see, he was turned into a tree. So, Except we said it at the same time, so it was like a very poorly written sitcom. Yes. The point is we still don't know. And, it, and also the second point is it doesn't matter. Yes. So we cut to the place where the flashbacks are typically taking place. That prior scene took place in the distant past, or long, long ago, I think. Yes, long ago in Camelot. And now we are in the near past. Yes, we're in the, what, six months-ish? It, I think it was six weeks. That we're now, now we're in the six weeks that have been erased from people's memories. The six lost weeks in Camelot. Yes, the lost Camelot weeks. So where Emma, dark one Emma, but not dark one out Emma, closeted dark one Emma. Gray one Emma. (laughs) Emma the Gray. Is standing next to the Merlin tree in modern Camelot, watching the prior scene unfold within a dream catcher, which are just like magic mirrors. I guess they didn't want to give her the mirror thing because... Well, she can scry. I mean... She can scry with dream catchers. Well, so... They wanted to give her dream catchers the way Rumpelstiltskin can spin straw into gold. She makes dream catchers and then the dream catchers do magical things. And I get it because they had previously seeded dream catchers as the thing that Neil gave her. So it's like her version of what home is. So it makes sense that that's what she would work her magic through. It's just unfortunate. Yeah. So Emma has seen the scene through the dream catcher and we will learn later that the Dreamcatcher showed her this scene of its own accord to lead her to the correct answer for freeing Merlin. Mm. So we don't always talk about the opening credits because they're usually fairly boring, and this week is no exception. It's a pumpkin. Okay, but we're bringing it up because pumpkins are a super minor part of this episode, but apparently they were just feeling like they had nothing else to put up in that opening sequence. All the Cinderella fans who haven't seen her since, what, season two must be, must have been so pissed about that. What's funny to me is, yeah, it's a pumpkin, so it made you think it might be Cinderella. But actually, the fairy tale character we're going to reference with that pumpkin is Peter Peter Pumpkin Eater. Who sounds awesome. I wish the show was about him. We're missing his totally awesome Coke parties with Miss Ginger. Yeah, basically. Remember Miss Ginger? Remember Miss Ginger Watch? Where the hell is Miss Ginger? She's gone. She's gone. She and the ironic archer are off. Having an affair. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. But alas, is not to be. Or at least is not to be shown. Mm. So back in Camelot, Regina is wandering around the woods with, with David and Mary Margaret. Yeah, with David and Mary Margaret. In case you forgot... David and Mary Margaret were brainwashed by King Arthur using the mists of Avalon, which basically do whatever the plot needs them to, so... Yeah. And now they believe that Arthur is good, even though Arthur is evil? Sure. I mean... People's motivations in this season are very unclear. It is the problem with this season. Arthur is evil, and we are told that he is evil, and he's acting very suspiciously. He's acting super evil. Except his goal is apparently to fix his kingdom or to drive all evil out of the kingdom. Well, so his goal used to be to have Excalibur and use it to be king. and well, use it to fix the broken kingdom. To be king and fix the broken kingdom. Right. The world is a mess and he just needs to rule it. Except when we start, he's already king. 
Like Right, but he's mad at Merlin because Merlin told him about the prophecy of Excalibur, but didn't tell him that it would be hard? So now he wants to reunite Excalibur and free Merlin. So he can kick his ass? So he can punch Merlin in the face for sending him on a quest that wasn't super easy. And... I think. I think that's what's happening. And, like, even so, he said that you would get the sword out of the stone, be king, you're king. I I, I know we said this last time, but, dude, just set up a fucking economy. Build up your kingdom the way actual people do. Anyway, David and Mary Margaret are telling Regina, who, by the way, is wearing another great dress. I mean, I know, surprise, surprise, Regina looks great, but Regina looks great. Okay. Okay, Regina is wearing this, like, layered half cape thing that is so beyond gorgeous. Yeah, she's got a maroon dress with a matching shoulder cape with gold edging. It's very attractive. But we're mostly focusing on that so we can ignore the incredibly obviously brainwashed David and Mary Margaret who are like, you should give Arthur the Dark One dagger. The dagger. Give him the dagger. And Regina's like, okay, but you know that the dagger controls your daughter slash the woman I love, so maybe we should talk about this for about ten seconds first. What's wrong with you two? You're acting slightly more wooden than normal. Right? Well, Mary Margaret loses her shit at that, and she's like, just give us the fucking dagger! And luckily Emma shows up and uses magic to freeze them so that she can tell Regina not to give them the fucking dagger. And Regina's like, okay, A, I wasn't going to give them the dagger, and B, aren't you not supposed to be using dark magic? She's being very casual about this, by the way. And Emma's like, yeah, you know what? I realized that I've spent the last three episodes trying to figure out what to do when the answer is just to use dark magic. Dark magic fixes everything. And Regina tells her that using dark magic is a slippery slope. And Emma tells her that the slippery slope is a fallacy. She's fine. She's got it under control. As she says... I'm not you. Regina makes a point that she more than anyone knows how easy it is to succumb to dark magic. You should point out that. We should point out that. Emma says that in a very caring way. Yeah, she's not being mean about it. She's just pointing out, I'm not you. She has a point. I think Emma is hard in ways that Regina isn't. How so? Well, Emma, Emma's been very self-reliant her whole life. She's someone who's had to struggle in ways Regina hasn't. Regina definitely did not have a fun or easy childhood, but she was in the aristocracy. She's always been well cared for, and while she may not have appreciated the forms it took, she did always have parental support. Yeah, Regina's never had to protect herself in the way that Emma has, and also... Being raised to be aristocracy, a lot of the way Regina was raised was about letting go of herself, being being part of the body politic, either to raise her parents' station or to raise her own station. Whereas Emma, Emma was always on her own. No one, no one took care of her and she didn't have to think of anyone else. Yeah. Emma has a resilience that I think would help her fight dark magic. Yeah, Emma, Emma should have more capability of fighting possession than Regina. Yes. Emma tells Regina that she knows that Arthur is evil because the Dreamcatchers told her so. And also, can I just say, they're just going to leave David and Mary Margaret there frozen for the rest of this episode. Good. Fair enough. 
So we cut from Regina's face there in the near past to Regina's face now in the present, where we're actually picking up a storyline from two episodes ago, because last episode was entirely a flashback, so all of the stuff that was happening in present-day storybook did not get resolved. So, in case you forgot, a couple episodes ago, King Arthur set up a plot in which his manservant Griff pretended to rob him, but didn't really so that he and David could work an adventure together and gain each other's trust, I guess? Is that what that was about? Honestly, as I said before, I don't understand people's motivations this season. Anyway, after Griff got arrested for stealing the magic bean... Which didn't exist, so... Yeah. Arthur came to the prison by himself and convinced Griff to drink a potion that would kill him and vaporize his body so that he couldn't be interrogated by David and give up the secret that this had all been a plot to question mark. I don't understand what the plot was, but Arthur didn't want Griff giving it away. Poor, sweet, stupid Griff. We will miss you. He, Which, I know we said it at the time, but Griff is a character who had motivation. An arc. We understood what his motives were, so we were sympathetic. It's weird how this one episode incredibly minor character who's just there to show how evil Arthur is, which again is the only reason I can think of for Griff's subplot. I guess, but, you know, evil needs to make some sense in fiction. Not in real life, unfortunately. But in fiction, we need our evil to have some sort of plan. Anyway, everyone's at the prison right now trying to figure out where Griff is because the body is gone. Now, uh, I kind of love how Robin Hood asks, he's like, okay, Arthur, think very carefully. Did you ever see Griff teleporting? And Arthur's like, no. Arthur suggests that maybe he used the magic bean to go back to Camelot on his own. There is a vague reference Hook makes to, because David's like, he can't have, he can't have, we searched him before putting him in jail and... Hook's like, maybe you didn't search him thoroughly enough. God, I didn't even... I didn't even... Oh my god. Okay. No. Yeah. But they just decide to assume... That Griff somehow smuggled in the magic bean and then used it to escape. My question is why they don't check the tapes. Because then we would be done? Because we would all know what had happened? When you brought that up two episodes ago, I was like, oh, that's how this is going to be resolved. But it's not. It just never comes up again. It's funny, this plot is like the reverse of a locked room mystery. I mean, it is a locked room mystery. Mm -hmm. Because it happened in a cage, so no one could have gone in or out, so it's a locked room mystery. But... Instead of resolving it, they all just decide to assume Magic Bean and move on. Yeah, they might not be great cops. I, yeah. So Marion says that it makes sense that Griff would do this nonsensical thing, because all of the Camelot people are super depressed at being stuck in Storybrooke. Especially because they're all stuck in tents in a field somewhere. There's plenty of room! Why aren't people giving them houses? Seriously. I mean, we know at least, uh handful of people have died since the beginning of the show there should be at least some empty houses also storybook grows and shrinks as needed so it's terrible yeah emma just found a giant house a few episodes ago honestly the way that the storybook people are treating the camelot people is terrible 
But they decide that the answer, instead of setting people up with nice places to live, is to distract everyone by throwing a ball or a dance. This is specifically Henry's idea. He gets this idea because he's been texting with Violet and he wants an excuse to ask her out. Okay, there there are a few questions here. You mean about Henry texting with Violet? Yes. Okay, let's dig into that. Okay, first off, Violet is from Camelot. How does she have a cell phone? How does she know what a cell phone is? How does she know how to work a cell phone? Okay, also she texts Henry, Hello, Henry! Exclamation mark emoji smile. Now, I know you think I'm going to say that emoji smiles aren't a thing she should be familiar with, but you know what else she shouldn't be familiar with? The word hello, which did not come into common usage until the invention of the telephone. And then, and then to make it worse, Henry texts back, sup. S-U-P. She will not understand that. Sup. That will make no sense to her. Also, come on, Henry. You're better than someone who sends someone else a sup. Right? Also, for the hello thing. Yes. Who her father ends up being might be a... Oh, interesting. Interesting. I mean, it's not super interesting. I totally forgot about it until you reminded me who Violet's dad actually is, but... Yeah, yeah. You know, I I kind of assume, as much as we're tearing this very small plot point apart, I kind of assume that Violet is talking to some girl who has modern memories in Storybrooke, and that girl is really excited about wingmanning for her. Maybe it's Gretel. Yeah, we haven't seen her in a while. Yeah. And it would make sense for that girl to be doing the texting to actually, you know, kind of translate. So Violet can be like, tell Henry I said well met and and good morrow. And she texts, hello, Henry, emoji smiley. Uh, She's being Sid and Shelby from the second season of Best Friends Whenever. God, Best Friends Whenever is such a great show. Max and I are currently working on a zine about it, which will be released at the end of this summer. But yeah, the whole second season has a plot where a medieval princess travels to the modern world and Sid and Shelby have to help her out. The second season is not quite as good as the first season. No, we're going to do a podcast to go with the zine and we're only going to cover the first season in that podcast. I think I've brought this up before, but in the Michael Crichton book timeline... One of the things I really loved about it is that when the when uh, one of the time traveling guys is talking to one of the hot past ladies, mm-hmm. he's trying to figure out how to communicate with her, and he cannot figure out how to say something in the affirmative because the word yes does not exist. Hmm. I can see where that would represent a problem. He's got like a little earpiece though, and the person in his ear is like, "Verily." Verily. Everyone immediately jumps on Henry, by the way, when he's like, how about a dance to cheer everyone up? Hook's like, hey, hey, if you want my tips on getting some weird strange, I slept with Ursula so I can tell you some stuff. And And Regina's like, um, please don't give my son dating advice, you greasy pirate. Yeah, Regina's like, nope, nope, shutting it down, shutting it down right now. Also, Hook is not that much of a ladies' man. Everyone calm down. Yeah, like, it's sort of, it's a Han Solo thing, where he's had serious relationships with two women his entire life. Yeah, I don't know how he gets a reputation for being a ladies' man. Anyway, the crew leaves the police station ready to set up this ball, and they are accosted by Belle, who has some more plot to give them. 
That's just Belle's whole thing now, huh? So Belle's just the exposition lady. Well, we haven't seen Leroy in a few episodes, so I think it's her job to run up and say, Terrible news! My estranged husband has apparently woken up from his coma and wandered away, and now he is missing. That's a real problem in Storybrooke. Yeah, I was about to say, we're going back to the first season a lot here. Okay, so Emma has Rumple tied up to what I swear to God looks like a mattress frame that's stuck on her wall. It's a great, it is a, it's a great closing off a piece of the cave. It is not a great great because it looks like a mattress frame. Anyway, yeah, she's got Rumple tied up down there in her sword basement where she has Excalibur in the stone. Which she casually leans on as she tells him he's not going anywhere until he pulls that sword from the stone. Yes, you see, last season when Rumple had his slate wiped clean, he now has a clean slate. You mean after he got his moral enema? Yes, yes, after he got his moral enema. Yes, Rumple is now an empty vessel that Emma can fill up with heroism so that he can be a true hero and draw Excalibur from the stone. And he's like, you don't understand, I was the dark one, and you might think that you're doing the right thing, but you're not. And she's like, I don't think I'm doing the right thing. I don't know what I'm doing. No one knows what they're doing. No one has motivation this season. God, it's so frustrating. Anyway, she brings in Merida. You'll remember Merida is in this season. For some reason. Right. Emma has brought her here to teach Rumpel how to be brave. No! I mean, I know they say that like a million times, but no! Yeah. Now, Merida, to demonstrate her braveness. Ugh. Yeah, she tries to attack Emma, and Emma's like, really? I'm holding your heart right here. Yeah, Emma has Merida's heart, and she is going to order Merida to basically attack Rumpel until he fights back, thus becoming a hero, which, is that heroic? Is acting on your evolutionary instincts to not die inherently heroic, Max? Well, if it was, then people probably wouldn't be calling him a coward all the time. So. That's a good point. Oh my god. So basically, when your fight or flight instinct kicks in, if you react with flight, you are objectively bad. And if you react with fight, you are objectively good, according to the morality of this show. Correct. God, this show... So, Emma bamfs away Rumple and Merida to go have their fighting lessons, and then she wanders into her Dreamcatcher garage, which looks very cool. Yes, she has a shed where she has a whole bunch of Dreamcatchers all set up. Yeah, it's, again, it's not great that they're doing this. It's a great visual, but it's culturally iffy. She picks up a very particular Dreamcatcher, and starts crying, which is not something you typically see from Dark Ones. It's true. She is very upset by whatever it is that is contained in that Dreamcatcher. We go from that to the past, which I like because that transition sets us up for the reveal at the end of this episode that those Dreamcatchers contain everyone's memories. <laughs> Using the Dreamcatcher to transition into the flashback is a good way to subconsciously prepare the audience for All of these dream catchers hold those six weeks of memory. Yes. Emma doesn't have time to explain to Regina the sort of dark magic she's doing to detreify Merlin to help him disembark, if you will. Oh my god! But yes. Oh my god. So Emma is going to use dark magic to 
untreeify Merlin. And part of this dark magic involves getting a tear of first heartbreak. Okay, so because Emma has seen the spell that turned Merlin into a tree, she now knows that it involved his tear. And the tear of a broken heart. Yes. So Regina, who has all of the magic lore, tells Emma that sometimes the anti-venom can be made from the venom. So the way to undo this spell will require a tear of heartbreak. Yeah. I, I mean, it's uh, it's like a vaccination, right? Yeah. You take a little bit of the disease and it teaches your body how to fight the disease. Actually, now that I talk about how vaccinations work, that doesn't make any sense. But you know what? It makes magical sense. Yes. It's a satisfying story, so we can go with it. Yeah. So, still in Camelot times, Henry is helping Violet brush her horse, and they're bonding over the fact that both of them have dead parents. Yes, Violet has a dead mother, while Henry has a dead father. Yes. They are both half-orphans. Orphans, if you will. I will not. Yeah, Violet starts in on her Her mother gave her this horse, so it's a very special horse because her mother's dead. And Henry's like, oh, my dad's dead. He died. We can talk about that. Dead parents. Yep. So Violet goes to put the horse's saddle up and leaves Henry alone. And then, oh my god, the secondhand embarrassment, Max. It's so bad. It's so strong. This is... Remember Star Wars, kid? Yeah, this is Star Wars, kid. Henry picks up the sword and he starts talking to Violet about how he's wielding Excalibur and he's going to be her hero and he's like, swinging the sword around and it's... Not not a Violet who's there. He's having an imaginary conversation with imaginary Violet while swinging around a practice sword and pretending to be a knight. It's embarrassing. And you know what's super embarrassing? The fact that Henry somehow falls backwards through a gate built to contain horses... I... That's really impressive. He's got a lot of momentum. He smashes right through this gate in front of Violet's dad. Oh, that's embarrassing. That's... Yeah, that's an extra layer of embarrassing. Really is. That's a layer of embarrassing icing on a very, very embarrassing cake. (laughs) Yes. Now, you mentioned earlier who Violet's father is. We don't know who Violet's father is yet, But he does introduce himself as Sir Morgan, which means that at the very least, the writers of Once Upon a Time knew who Violet's father was at this point. Yeah, he could be a lot of people. He could be Captain Morgan. He could be Morgan Le Fay. Were they trying to set up that he might be Mordred? Oh, that would have been awesome. I mean, I I, I actually like who Violet's father is, but maybe they were trying to imply that he was Mordred. I'm deeply disappointed by the lack of Morgan Le Fay in this season. It should have been Emma. That would have been great. There are not enough fairy tale mashups in late season Once Upon a Time. It would have been amazing if Emma as Dark One had gotten to be all of the villains, the way Rumple as Dark One got to be all of the villains in early seasons of Once Upon a Time. Also the fairy godmother. Yes. Yes. Anyway... Sir Morgan. I was going to say if I was going to say we're not going to spoil it, but if you want to know who he is, you can Google Sir Morgan. Although honestly, if you want to know who he is, you could just Google Once Upon a Time because these episodes came out several years ago. But anyway, moving on. So okay, 
it's time for one of my least favorite tropes ever. Super protective dad. Yeah. Yeah. He goes up to Henry and he's like, Wow, you really suck hard for a squire your age. And Henry's like, I'm not a squire, I'm a writer. And Sir Morgan is like, really? Are you going to protect my daughter with a pen? He's like, what are you going to do when ogres attack the kingdom? How are you going to protect Violet? Uh, I'm sorry, did you miss the part where ogres killed literally every dude who came after them with a sword? Also, Henry isn't just a writer, he's the author. So he's going to have a lot more luck with his pen than anyone will with a sword. Yeah. How are you going to defend my daughter? Person who is literally omnipotent? And remember... Henry's omnipotent in two different ways. He is both the author and the true believer. Yeah, he has the heart of the truest believer, which, thanks to a spell Regina cast, can no longer be taken from him. That's true. Now, I do want to say as much as I hate this trope, I hate this trope at least as much as you do, I do feel like Sir Morgan saying, emphasizing, you don't have the skills to protect my daughter in this realm, is hinting at who he is. I'm just going to leave that at that. Yeah. We cut from there to the present, and Violet and Henry are sitting on a bench talking, and I just want to point out, because we brought it up a couple of episodes ago, that the building behind them is Storybook Savings and Loan, because Emma just named everything in this curse the most generic thing she could think of. What are we watching? Charmed? Regina put some serious pun work into crafting her story, Brooke. Emma's just like, bank. (laughs) This is bank. Game of Thorns is now florist. Granny's is now diner, bar. Bed and breakfast. Probably brothel. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, Henry and Violet are on this bench talking. Yeah, he asked her if he got her text. Hey, did you get my text? Henry wants Violet to go with him to the dance, which, by the way, has turned into a block party. And when we actually see it, it's really more of a street fair. Yeah, they're being pretty liberal with dance here. But Violet is in no dancing mood. You see, her dead mother horse escaped, and she's just too darn sad to, I don't know. Dance. Well, it's dance right now. It'll be eat cotton candy and popcorn later. (laughs) that's accurate and henry's like don't worry about it storybook shrinks and grows as needed it'll just shrink and you'll find your horse which okay henry horses don't care about town lines that horse is definitely a tree by now i mean it's not thank goodness but it could be there's no reason to assume that horse is not a tree or hit by a car and storybook is pretty famous for people running into things i guess that's true That's why there's 10,000 car repair shops, which all have to be called car repair shop now, so that has to be very confusing. (laughs) Yes. So Violet tells Henry that her dad is wandering around waving pumpkin over his head because her dead mom horse really likes pumpkin. That's a hint that might come up later in the episode, so just remember that. Yes. So Henry realizes that he's not going to get any until Violet finds her horse. So he goes to the best detective he knows to help him find the horse. David. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Can you imagine? Oh my god, no. No, it's Emma. And he reminds her, hey, you came to town to help everyone get their happy endings, which is not even vaguely true, but okay. No, that's a total retcon of why she came back to town. She came to town to break the curse. I mean, technically she came to town to get you out of her apartment. 
Fair. And then she stayed in town because your mother was awful, but then that got retconned too. So, yeah, let's just go with you came to town to bring back the happy endings. But he tells Emma that he needs her help finding a horse, and Emma's like, yeah, cool, I can do that. Let's work together. Yeah, let's have another operation. And, okay, he reminds her of when they did Operation Cobra. Mm -hmm. And I just have to say, Max... How did we do all of the Operation Mongoose episodes and not call our episodes Operation Hot Mother? I know, right? Oh, God, I'm so mad about that. That would have been the perfect title. God damn it. Missed opportunity. Oh, well. In- anyway, in the woods, Merida is giving Rumpelstiltskin brave lessons. Yes, she's trying to teach him how to fight and therefore be brave. And he's like, I can't really fight. You know, I can't do sword stuff because I only have one functional leg. And then she gives him a stick and is like, we'll just lean on the stick. Footwork is no part of sword play. She says, literally, all a man needs to be good at fighting is a hand and a sword and you've got both. That's That's... not accurate. No, no, you need other things. Footwork is a part of sword play. You know what? Well, I mean, I was going to say, you know what you really don't need footwork for is archery. Mm. But... This isn't about teaching Rumple to fight. This is about teaching Rumple to be brave. So, anyway. Why is this show setting up that it's impossible to have bravery without fighting? Yeah, that is weird. The show should be listening to itself. There's no way to have bravery without pointless self-sacrifice. Yes! We cut back to Emma and Henry looking for the horse. And Emma tells a story of when she caught a guy who really liked pizza. But instead of walking around waving a piece of pizza over her head... She just staked out the pizza place. You know, back when she was a bail bonds person. A bounty hunter? A bail bonds person. Why are you against the word bounty hunter? Because the show is against the word bounty hunter. Why is the show against the word bounty hunter? Anyway, Emma decides that the solution is not to walk around waving around pumpkin the way Sir Morgan is, but to go stake out the pumpkin patch like some sort of Charlie Brown special. Now, she's like, so this is about that girl you like, right? And he's like, yeah, I played her that song that dad used to bang you, and it was working. Okay, number one, you should not know what song you were conceived to, which Henry apparently does. Mm. And number two, if you do know what that song is, don't use it to seduce your own person. Yeah, that's weird. And he he tells him, he's like, yeah, dad told me it was the one sure way to get girls to like you. And I was like, well, yeah, I got pregnant with you, so... That's terrible. Oh my... I... Okay, anyway. So, we cut from that heartwarming scene? I mean, it's supposed to be a nice mother-son moment, but... Ugh. No. Uh, So we cut back to Henry trying to learn how to sword fight in a clearing, except didn't he already know how to sword fight back in season two during the Peter Pan season? Remember, he beat that one kid at sword fighting, and he had all those lessons with David. Yeah, And he apparently knew it well enough back in season two. Well, I mean, he was the truest believer then. So he just thought he'd be good at fighting and he was? Yeah. He's still the truest believer. Yeah, but he no longer thinks he'll be good at sword fighting. Oh. Yeah. Henry's having a crisis of self-confidence right now. Yeah. And his mom showed up to give him some good advice. So Henry calls... Emma and Regina moms because they wander in on him having his little solo swordplay lesson. It is adorable when he does that. And also, 
I mean, he's obviously drawing attention to the fact that they are his moms, because it's not like when your parents walk up, you're like, hey, parents. It's just super sweet. Hey, moms. Also, by making them a collective noun, he's placing them together in a way that, you know, my swan queen heart really appreciates. Yeah. And he doesn't minimize his relationship with either one. Yes. Which is nice. And they give him what is really solid advice, because he's like, I like this girl, but... I can't do the stuff the other guys can do around here. And his moms are like, yeah, but you're a dashing stranger from a foreign land who can control reality. Like, work that angle. Yeah, instead of trying to be just another squire winning over a girl, how about you be a sexy time traveler? Speaking of weird conversations for parents to have with their children, Uh Regina's like, yeah, I remember my first love. Daniel, he wasn't like the other guys, and that's why I fell in love with him. And then my mom ripped his heart out, but you don't have to worry about that. I'm sure that your mom won't rip out Violet's heart at any point in your courtship. Yep. Oops. So, Oops. Mm. But the important thing about this story is that it cues Regina into a way that they can get a tear from a broken heart. She's like, wait, I have a broken heart. And we go from there to Emma and Regina in the room that Regina's been staying in in Camelot. And Emma has her magical scrying dream catcher. And she uses it to play the scene back from season one where Daniel was killed by Cora. I really like the way they sort of layer this in. We cut between the scene itself to Emma and Regina watching the scene in the dream catcher. It both immerses you in the scene and reminds you that the scene is being watched by outside forces also it feels a little less cheap because they didn't just cut to footage they already had yes it does sort of help with the clip show-esque aspect of this yes charmed will do entire episodes in this style you are so ready to talk about charmed yes but you know what i find interesting what buffy never had a clip show well i mean that makes sense was it not comedic enough to have a clip show? Is that why Charmed could have them and Buffy couldn't? I think that Buffy thought it was better than clip shows, which it was. Yeah. Buffy was better than clip shows. Well, I mean, you know the story of how Hush came to be, right? No. Basically, the writers of Buffy got so much praise for the witty dialogue on Buffy that they decided to set themselves a test and do an episode that had almost no dialogue. And Hush is a great episode. Hush is one of... A show that is all about its great dialogue, one of its greatest episodes has no dialogue. That's a strong show. Anyway. Once upon a time. Once upon a time. So we see the scene from season one where Regina watches her first love's heart get broken, like, literally, by her mom pulling it out of his chest and crushing it. Yeah. And Emma's like, wow, that was horrifying. Emma actually says, I don't know how a mother could do that. Mm. But a single tear, a single beautiful tear, runs down Lana Priya's cheek and Emma scoops it up and she's like, yep, there we go. Yep. <laughs> okay, so the Storybrooke crew is attempting to break into Dark Emma's mansion in the real time. In the present. In the present. Now, Emma has put up a protection spell around the house, which uh, deflects them until Hook suggests, Hook's like, hey, she, that protection spell wouldn't ward against Henry, right? 
So Regina bamps one of Henry's dirty shirts into her hand. It's a scarf. That shouldn't work at all. Yeah, she wraps a scarf around her hand and is... Henry's scarf. And is then suddenly able to open the door, which, as you said, should not work because some fabric around your hand is going to confuse the warding spell. If so, it wasn't done very well. So they break into the Dark One's house. Not a bright idea in the best of times, but hey, Hook wants to see what's behind that secret door Elmo wouldn't let him go behind. Yeah, which is funny because you would think he would know what a bad idea that is, being a pirate. Yeah, pirates are kind of famous for having secret doors you should not go behind. So back in the back in the flashback, Henry is taking Violet out on a date, a 20th century date. Henry has set up grannies for a modern date. He, When Violet comes in, he calls her milady, but not in a creepy way because he's trying to be old fashioned, but not like that. Yeah, you know what, Henry, like fedoras, that phrase has been destroyed. Do not say that. We get what you're trying to do and we appreciate it, but just because you're an old-timey times... Doesn't give you a pass. Yeah. You cannot say milady anymore. Anyway, he's serving her dinner at Granny's. He found some frozen lasagna in the back and he heated it up. And he's got a couple of movies on his phone so they can do dinner and a movie. Yes, which is super cute. First, he pours her some soda and she is fascinated by the carbonation. I was originally going to call bullshit on this because of champagne, but it turns out that uh, champagne actually postdates Camelot, so it's okay. Mm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, she's like, "Is this magic?" And he's like, "Nope, nope. That's that's just science. It's it's just technology, which is so advanced as to be indistinguishable from magic." Mm. Uh, Violet calls it a carnival in a can. Mm. But that does make me want to let people know that the monk who first discovered champagne is said to have declared, I'm drinking stars. Wow. I like he, that. He likes carbonation way more than I do. It was a novelty. Yes. Also, I know you don't like carbonation in soda. Do you like carbonation in sparkling wine? No. Really? No, I am not. I, I like soda when it's flat. I love sparkling wine. Okay. We're going to have to order two bottles every time we go out now. I, I don't object to sparkling wine that much. It's fine. It doesn't bother me to the degree it does in soda. Really? Because you sounded like it bothered you a lot. <laughs> but anyway, the two movies Henry has on his phone, which he's going to show her for, for their dinner and a movie date, Harold and Maude and Commando. That is quite an eclectic selection. It really is. And I can see him being into Harold and Maude, not so much Commando. Yeah, Harold and Maude is a total Henry movie. He describes it as a great date movie, nope. which it's definitely not. Not a good date movie. You know what would have been a good date movie for Violet? Stardust. That would have been a good date movie. Yeah. But, I mean, Henry didn't really have a choice. Those are just the only two movies he had on his phone. We don't really have a lot of good fantasy medieval movies, do we? I mean, there's the Lord of the Rings series, and that's basically it. They made an Aragon movie. I mean, I feel like the fantasy mantle has kind of been picked up by Game of Thrones. And talk about things to not show on a date. Mm. Definitely not Game of Thrones. Maybe a sci-fi movie. Because sci-fi movies already have to have world building. Like, a modern movie doesn't feel like it needs to explain the world, but a sci-fi movie does. So you could play... Aliens. I was going to say Star Wars Episode Four: <laughs> A New Hope. You don't want to terrify Violet about dying in space. I would prefer not to. But, uh, you know what he should show her? A Disney movie. 
They're great date movies. Oh, yeah. Back in high school, I had a relationship which basically consisted of me and a girl watching Disney sequels and making out in her basement. This is my shocked face. This is my totally surprised face. Yeah. He should have shown her the Rogers and Hammerstein Cinderella. Ooh. The one with Brandy. Yes. Yeah. That would have been so... Oh, that's... You know what? Next time, Henry needs to talk to us instead of his moms. We will totally wingman for him. Honestly, he says Harold and Maude is a good date movie. You would be better off showing her Commando. Although, to be fair, I feel like that's the kind of thing that a pretentious 14-year-old would think was a good date movie. So, you know what? We should let it go. We get a reminder he's 13 in this episode. I, I said I said 14 because I feel like 13 is too young to be that pretentious. Yes. So I went ahead and aged him up. Henry is also mystically omnipotent, though, so he can be 14-year-old pretentious at 13. There you go. Anyway, Violet's like, wait, what's a date? And he's like, you know, hand-holding, like, light making out, and she's like, oh. This is what I was talking about earlier in the episode. The kind of cool idea that they don't have the concept of dating yeah she's like you're courting me that's look look dude this this isn't gonna work yeah she's like i do not want to be courted by you so nope and then uh violet shatters henry's wee little heart and then we cut to the present day where merida okay i have so many issues with this Merida breaks into Regina's house, finds the book. The Once Upon a Time book of Henry's. Which, God, we haven't seen this in a while, and the illustrations have not got better. No, they have not. But she finds the book so that she can read Rumpel's backstory, so that she can figure out what buttons she needs to push to make him brave. And she sees him holding the goddamn chipped cup while talking to Belle. Oh, that stupid fucking cup. And then she... Stands across the street from his shop and shoots an arrow into the keyhole to open it so she can get into his shop and withdraw the chipped cup from his secret safe. Okay, this is like this is like in D&D when you only have one skill and you try to use it for everything. She's like, can I use archery to pick the lock? And this DM is just totally phoning it in because she's like, yeah, whatever, do it. So it's me with magic hand. I did not let you use magic hand unless it was appropriate. You let me pick up fire and throw it out a window with magic hand. Did it weigh less than five pounds? Then you can pick it up with magic hand. People underutilize magic hand then. Magic hand is a super useful skill. Anyway, she gets the cup and she's going to use the cup to force him to fight, apparently. Yeah. I guess. He'll fight for his love if it's the cup or something. Anyway, we go from that to Operation Hot Mother, where Henry and Emma are trying to find the horse, and lo and behold, the horse is in fact at the pumpkin patch, at Peter Peter Pumpkin Eater's pumpkin patch. Which, according to Emma, he set up after the first curse, and she was called there to deal with... Apparently he throws ragers, and someone called the... Okay, this is why... This is such... This is very annoying, because I want to hear the story about Peter Peter Pumpkin Eater's super loud coke parties... That are so loud that even though he lives in an isolated farm in the middle of nowhere, someone called the cops on him. Right? Oh. Anyway, the horse is there. Yes, the horse is at Peter Peter Pumpkin Eater's pumpkin patch. But Emma cannot approach it because the horse is spooked by her dark one nature. Yes, horses don't like witches. That's accurate. Except for Regina. 
actually horses just don't like dark ones in this. But it's okay. And so Henry gets to do his thing. Henry gets to pull a hiccup from How to Train Your Dragon. And show his worth by coaxing the dragon to come to him as opposed to showing his worth by fighting. Yeah. Henry is a gentle soul. You're right. This is the plot of How to Train Your Dragon. Huh. Those movies are so good. The first one's great. Anyway, the Storybook crew have entered uh, Emma's secret sword in the stone slash murder basement. And they have found Excalibur. And Bella's like, hey, anyone else notice that Excalibur is clearly a match for the Dark One dagger? And, and Hook's like, why don't I pull it out and get a closer look? And Regina's like, okay, can't believe I'm going to do this, but you're probably going to get vaporized if you touch that. So maybe don't do that. Which is downright decent of her. That, I mean, if I was Regina, I might have let him pull it out. So Belle sees some rope near the grate and immediately realizes that that must mean that Rumple has been there. Yeah, it's just piles of rope. It's not like Rumple significant at all. It's just, oh, look, a pile of rope. Rumple must be here. Weird how she just jumped to the right conclusion. Oh, and speaking of just jumping to the right conclusion. As they're leaving the basement, Hook sees a random octangular box and feels some odd compulsion to open it i mean it just looks like a normal pier one box that would be sitting out on a table yeah it's a decorative box box but he opens it up and there is a dream catcher inside regina's kind of insulting here regina says they can be more than just objects of folklore when they are imbued with magic and it's uncomfortable the way they are just appropriating like mad right now but uh, there's nothing we could do about it yep so back in fairy tale land emma is mixing up the detreification potion which involves a whole bunch of tiny colored bottles which it must be really fun doing the prop work for once upon a time i would enjoy it and the last item that she adds is Regina's one beautiful tear. Aww. But when she pours it in, the spell fizzles out. Yeah, it starts poofing up, and then it... Just like uh, when Regina tried to cast uh, the Dark Curse using her horse's heart. Oh, it's true. And it's for the same reason. Regina's emotions were not powerful enough. Not with the horse, and not with Daniel's death. And Regina's like, what are you talking about? That was like... I did a whole bunch of really awful stuff because of that. And Emma's like, yeah, but that was like four seasons ago. You've had a ton of character development since then. The heartbreak is not as fresh. She needs some fresh heartbreak. So conveniently, Henry shows up. Henry runs up sobbing because Violet... Doesn't love him. Yeah, I mean, doesn't want to go out with him anyway. He's got some fresh, young heartbreak... Which is sad, but also exactly what they need. Henry's like, I couldn't be the hero Violet wanted. And Regina says, yes, but you may be the hero we need. Yes, speaking of character development, Regina is super good on consent right here. She is. She she tells Henry that, the, that his tears are exactly the ingredient they need to finish the spell, and may they use them. And he agrees. So... They use Henry's tear, and it poofs up a bunch of white and black smoke. And just in the nick of time, too, because Arthur has shown up with some of his knights to stop the detreeing process. Yes, he's like, how dare you? 
I found out that Emma's the Dark One, and for some reason I'm more angry about that than the fact that David stabbed one of my most loyal knights. To and, uh, the dungeons with you. Emma takes control of the white and dark mixed magic that is bellowing from the potion and shoots it all at the tree. As uh, Regina wards off King Arthur and his men with fireballs. It's too bad she can't do that trick that she does sometimes where she just waves her hand and people pass out. The scene would be a lot easier if she just did that, wouldn't it? Yeah. Huh. Less, less cinematic, though. Yeah, I guess. And I guess these fireballs aren't evil fireballs because we're not worried about Regina turning dark even though she's throwing fireballs. Yeah. So Emma shoots the light and dark magic into the tree, which kerploofs into Sexy Merlin. Sexy Merlin. And he's like, hey. He pulls down his cape and he smiles at Emma and holy shit, you guys. He's like, I may not have wood anymore. But you do now. Damn straight I do. He is giving me some serious ladywood right now. But then he turns his attention on Arthur and is like, Arthur, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. And Arthur halfway pulls Excalibur out of the scabbard because, you know, it's only three quarters of a sword. He's like, you ruined my life. I hate you. I hate you, magical tree dad. And Merlin's like, calm down. You're not going to do anything with that sword. Put it away before you hurt yourself. Yeah, dude, don't you know? I'm the one who sent you to get the sword. I know the sword isn't whole. What are you... Did you forget our plot just because nobody has any motivation? That's making it very difficult to follow who wants what. So, back in the present... Back in the present, the storybook crew is totally ratting out Emma and telling Arthur that Excalibur is in her basement. And he is very anxious to have heard this news. Yes. They also tell him that they realized that the sword is a match for the Dark One dagger. And Arthur's like, yes, as I said 7,000 times last episode, the dagger completes Excalibur. I want to merge them all so I can banish all darkness from the land, which would save your daughter. I want to eradicate dark magic forever, but if it's in the wrong hands, it can destroy light magic forever and they're like oh that must be what emma wants to do with it even though it's uh, uh, i i i hate i hate how this season is basically hide the motivation so everyone we're getting a lot of shots of the town enjoying this town festival so i'm guessing they probably don't do candle day anymore yeah, well, Candle Day existed because of a story that wasn't real, that was created as part of Storybrooke's backstory in The Curse, and we know Emma didn't put that much backstory into Storybrooke, so Candle Day doesn't exist anymore. Hmm. That's probably fine. I'm sure it's fine. So, Violet is wandering around the fair with her dad all bummed out when Henry gets a second chance for a first impression. Yeah, this time, instead of goofing around with a sword... He shows up with a horse and gets to save the day in front of Violet and her father, Sir Morgan. Yeah, he rides up on a horse and he jumps off all suave and he's like, hey, I may have forgotten all the sword fighting uh, lessons I had with David, but I remembered all the horse riding ones. And he's like, yeah, I got your horse back, MBD. And Sir Morgan's like, yeah, you know what? Cool. You have permission to go make out with my daughter behind the corn dog uh, stand. And then Max and I are like, except that she's her own person and has her own autonomy, and she gets to decide what to do with her body. 
which what she decides to do with her body is to give Henry a kiss on the cheek, which is like, what, second base if you're 13? Yes, that is 13-year-old second base. So we cut from that to Merida trying to stab Rumpelstiltskin to make him fight. Oh, I'm so frustrated with this whole subplot, even though it only lasts for, like, this episode and next episode. But it's so annoying because how is that bravery? Merida tells him that he won't fight. And he's like, it's not won't, I can't fight. And she's like, really? What if I tell you that if you don't fight me, I'm going to destroy this cup that clearly has emotional significance for you because it's a broken cup that doesn't serve its purpose at all. Okay, so putting all of this aside, not actually not putting all of this aside, but that cup has been broken like 7,000 times and fixed by magic. It's weird how they can fix the cup with magic, but they never actually fix the chip in it. No, because it's the metaphor for their relationship, so it has to be busted. Like their relationship? Yeah. Ugh. So Meredith's like, I'm going to smash it with this sword, and Rumple's like, no, you won't, I'm going to lunge at you. Yeah, so basically she gets Rumple mad enough that he just flies at her in anger, and she's like, ah, bravery. That's not what bravery is. God damn it, show. Yeah, and she's like, you were thinking of her, and that's why you were able to fight. Maybe he was just thinking about how annoying you are, Merida. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying I would want to run her through with a sword, but I would not want to spend time with her socially. Huh, right. Anyway, then Merida says that they've got a lot of work to do before he's ready to take on Emma, implying that even though she is doing this sword lesson at Emma's behest, her secret ultimate plan is to get him strong enough that he can defeat Emma the way... Anna of Arendelle got David strong enough to defeat Little Bo Peep. But also, that's not what happens. I want to bring this up because this sort of does actually get touched on a little next episode. Okay. But Rumpelstiltskin is the person who traditionally defeats the big bads in this show. That's true, but Merida doesn't know that. Merida doesn't know that. So I don't want to give her credit for it. But if she was like, hey, I noticed you were the one who killed Korra and you were the one who killed Zelina... And you were the one who killed Peter Pan. So I'm thinking all I need to do is get you in the right position and you'll take care of Emma. I mean, if Merida had all of the information, that would be a valid thing for her to be thinking. But that's not what she's thinking. No. So Regina is debriefing Robin on the fact that Emma sucked away their memories into Dreamcatchers. And he's like, so you can just look in there and see what happened. And she's like, I could, but I don't want to because part of me still really trusts Emma. Yeah, I really like that. She says, if Emma ripped away our memory, there's probably a reason she did it and maybe we shouldn't look at it. Robin Hood's like, hot alternate take, you do look at it. And she's like, oh, yeah, okay. So she does. She looks at the memory and she realizes pretty quickly that she's seen the memories of Violet who she refers to as that little girl that Henry has a crush on. And she does not notice that Henry is in the background with his bucket of popcorn from the street fair. Which makes this next bit extra hilarious. Not on purpose. Because he sees Regina and Robin Hood watching Emma rip out Violet's heart in the past. Yes, in the past, Violet was in the stable. She just got the invitation from Henry to meet him at Granny's. And Emma showed up ripped out Violet's heart, and was like, hey, 
do me a favor and go break my kid's heart so that I can harvest his tears for a spell I'm doing. Yes. I need a tear of fresh lost love, and I already know that Regina's thing is not going to work. So you need to go dump my kid and make him run crying home to mama. And Regina is horrified to be watching this, and... Henry is horrified to see this. Yeah, Henry is behind them, and he's like, what the actual fuck? So back in Camelot, Merlin does a little cool hand-wavy magic to unfreeze David and Mary Margaret, who have just been frozen all day. Thank God. Everything was so much more relaxing when David and Mary Margaret were frozen, am I right? Yeah. Merlin also broke the mists of Avalon while he was at it, so they're like, oh, sorry about betraying you to uh, Arthur. So David asks, who broke us out of the spell? And Merlin does this cute little hand wave. He's so cute. And David's like, wait, you're Merlin, but you're so hot. Yeah, David's like, you are way hotter than I was expecting Merlin to be. And Merlin, Merlin rolls with this. Merlin's like, uh, you were expecting someone. And David's like, yeah, yeah, older. And Merlin's like, well, being a tree is great for your skin. Which is probably not true. Yeah. Yeah. But Hook, Hook is the one who cuts the chase. Hook, br- <laughs> Hook cruises right past... Emma's father being too dumbstruck by how handsome Merlin is. Yeah, he's like, hey, by the way, Emma's the dark one. Can you undo that for us? And Merlin foreshadows slash warns that Emma can only be released from the darkness if she wants to be released from the darkness. And that's not a given. He's like, I can do this, but I can only do this if this is something you actually want. Uh, We already saw way back in season one, Rumpelstiltskin... Could have been cured by true love's kiss, but he wanted that darkness too much. He held on to it. He wanted the darkness more than he wanted true love. So back in the present, Emma shows up at Regina's house looking for Henry. And Regina's like, you are so busted. Uh, I know what you did to Violet. I know that you let her horse out in the real world. I was trying to see the good in you, but I saw what you did to Henry. How could you? How dare you? I have the moral high ground now. Suck it. Yeah, Emma's like, you broke into my house? And Regina's like, oh, do not even with that. Emma tries to justify herself. She says that she was Henry's mom and she thought she was doing the right thing. And Regina is the exact wrong person to say that to because Regina gets to bring out, yeah, Cora thought she was doing the right thing for her daughter too. So, no. Yeah, and Regina says, look, if I have the moral high ground, you know you've fallen a wrong. You know, ugh. if I have the moral high ground, you know you've fallen a long way, Miss Swan. And Regina, and Emma says, "We've come too far for you to still be calling me Miss Swan." Oh my God, I love them so much. And Regina's like, "Fine, Emma. Look, my mother thought she was protecting me too." Rumpelstiltskin thought he was protecting his son. Well, Rumpelstiltskin was lying to everyone. Let's, let's, let's not bring him into this. You need to take a step back, reevaluate your actions, and you need to not be here right now. Well, and Emma says that they needed to do it because they needed to free Merlin, letting slip that back in Camelot they did in fact free Merlin. But that's not good enough for Regina. She closes the door on Emma's face. And then Emma leaving the house, looks up to the upstairs window and sees Henry 
looking down at her, super pissed, and he closes the curtains. Oh, it's heartbreaking. So this was a really good episode. This is a, yeah, this is a great episode. You know, the first couple episodes this season, I was trying to remember why I had liked this season so much when we were watching it through the first time, but these last couple of episodes, I think I'm remembering. Yeah, this is really good, and we're, I mean, we're getting some great character work here. Yes, it might have helped that in at least one of the timelines, David and Mary Margaret were frozen for the entire plot. Yes, that was nice. Unfortunately, next week we're going to have to deal with the bear and the bow, which is all Merida all the time, so... Yep, I was gonna say who was clamoring for that, but... There probably were people clamoring for that. Conceptually, if you were like, hey, Merida's gonna be on uh, Once Upon a Time, I would have been like, yeah, cool, I'd be into that. And then you saw it. And then I saw it. So let's talk about fashion. Okay, this was... I mean, all the Camelot stuff is consistently really good, but my god, that one dress Regina was wearing. Oh, so beautiful. The red, And it's a different red one than the red one she's been wearing. I also really like Violet's date dress, which is a, just a simple blue dress with a white cloak, but very, uh, very Virgin Mary. Mm. I, also, Emma's, l- like, all white, I'm not really the dark one ensemble. Yes, which is what she's been wearing all season, but it's looked great all season. I really love the whole folded cloak thing. It looks so good. You really love the cloak with the hood. I, it makes me want to make one. So, I guess that's it for this week. Yep. And as you said, next week will be the bear and the bow. So, join us for a long talk about what this show thinks Brave was about. Yeah, because this show has ideas about what Brave was. And they are not good. No. This show is partially listener-supported. If you would like to become one of our patrons, you can do so at our website, ilovetelevisionzines.com. We would very much appreciate it. We would love to hit our stretch goal, at which point we will be doing a podcast about the Descendants TV movies, and we are very excited to talk about that. We are. It's going to be so cool. The Descend- We have so many theories about the backstory of the world they have set up for these live action disney sequels yeah the descendants is kind of like once upon a time in that way and that it gives us a world that is not fleshed out enough so we get to fill in all of that backstory we would like to thank our current five dollar and above patrons beryl patricia cassidy alec alex alicia and ryan if you'd like to support the show in other ways, you can always rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, head over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash I love television zines. We can also be contacted at I love TV zines at Twitter or I love television zines at gmail.com. So until next week, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Storybrook. Looking from a window above, it's like a story of love.